Sambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, bringing you true crime from around the world. Well, last week was a very gruesome case, but this week I bring you another Aussie case from back in the 70s. It's an interesting story of just how you can end up too deep in something before you realise you can't get out. Oh, and it's about betrayal of the highest order. In fact, this story came to my attention because of a book launched recently called Betrayal by journalist Sandy Logan, who will become one of the characters in this whole sorry saga. References tonight are that book, Betrayal by Sandy Logan, of which I've been listening to the audible version of it, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Olympian, the Olympian Washington, the Charlotte Observer, The Age, ABC Australia and United Press International. Okay, so this is such an interesting case. As I said, I've been listening to Sandy's book, Betrayal, all week, and I do recommend getting this one for a real deep dive, as I can only give you a brief overview of the whole story. Now, I will say I did purchase the book myself, and I'm not getting paid at all to do this story. Okay, so we're going back to the 70s in Sydney, Australia. That's where I grew up. It's the last day of January 1978 and two elderly women from Lapine, Oregon will be arrested in the next 48 hours for smuggling, now get this, two tonnes of cannabis resin or as, ever, as it's known, hash. 59-year-old Vera Todd Hayes or Toddy as she was known and her partner, 61-year-old Florice Bisi Basia, had been watched by customs in the Federal Drug Squad for a couple of months before their separate arrests in Sydney. Now, this bust would be the biggest in Australia at that time. So, who are these old ladies and what the fuck are they doing smuggling all those drugs? Well, Vera, or Toddy, as she was known, was born in Hollywood 1918. She would end up to be quite tall, to grow quite tall, six feet. And she was a pretty good athlete. At 19, she graduated college and became involved in professional softball. Sadly, though, she started to get injuries and by around 1940, she stopped playing. In fact, she would have played in the 1936 Berlin Olympic team for the USA if she hadn't been plagued with injuries. So she ended up managing a bowling alley and then she ended up winning championships in bowling. So she was pretty good at what she was doing there. In 1941, with the war in Europe in full swing, Toddy got a job at North American Aviation, NAA, working on the assembly line. By December 1942, a year after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the full entry of the USA into World War II, Toddy joined the Women's Army Corps as a first-class private. Now, within a year, she was promoted to first-class sergeant, which was amazing. After the war, she worked for Marine Products, then NCR. I used to work for NCR ages ago as well. By 1948, Toddy joined the police and she married in 1952. But this marriage ended in divorce the following year. Now, while she was still married, though, she got a job at Douglas Aircraft where she would meet her lifelong partner, Florice Bisi Basia. Now, Bisi, she was born in Wisconsin. She looked after her sick mum early on and delivered newspapers and collected bottles to make ends meet. 
When she left school, she worked at Parker Pens, then studied massage. BC then got a job as World War II broke out with DuPont on the highly secretive Manhattan Project. Now, the Manhattan Project was a research and development project during World War II that produced the first nuclear weapons, so it was highly secretive. In 1943, she moved into Boeing, working on the production line, and in 1952, BC meets Toddy at Douglas Aircraft. As I mentioned before, they would end up as great friends and living together. The pair loved fishing, hiking, and all those outdoorsy things. They were always active in their community, helping people out. In 1953, they bought a house together at Newbury Park, California. And in 1969, so we're jumping quite a few years now, Tidy had an accident and retired from work. She would have been around 51 at the time. In the mid-70s, they moved to Lapine, Oregon. They bought a motor home and settled down into what they thought would be a peaceful retirement, fishing and hiking. And like I said, they just loved community work. How wrong they would be. In 1976, while visiting Toddy's brother, Vern Todd Sr., her favourite nephew, Vernon Leonard Todd Jr., happened to turn up at the house. Now, Toddy was so pleased to see him. Now, by happen, maybe it wasn't such a coincidence that he turned up that day, but we're going to get into that later. Vern Todd, born in 1943, was a good-looking bloke standing six feet tall. He'd been to Australia and worked as an actor. He liked sailing, and he's also made beach buggies. Apparently, when he was seven, he had the idea to turn Californian pine cones into cabinet handles, which made a friend of his father a lot of money. Now, you can actually see these on Etsy's now, Etsy now, so have a look. In 1966, he went to Australia on the yacht Nam Sang and entered the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, where they play seventh. He loved Australia, and he stayed. Now, one production he was in was called Boys in the Band that toured nationally. In 1970, he started developing an inflatable baby bath, which he called Tubby Bath. By 1972, it launched with 4,000 orders in its first 12 days. He had the idea to make this because the first time he had to bath a kid, he panicked as the baby was slippery, it was wet, and he felt really tense holding on. This gave him the idea to create a plastic tub that would stick to the table, giving it stability. Apparently it worked well, but from what I can see, the guy he developed it with only ended up with a few hundred dollars out of the venture. It looks like Vern was pretty good at making sure he looked after himself. So this Vern character is good looking, an actor, he seems to have plenty of money, and he turns up to his parents' place just when his auntie Toddy is there. It's at this meeting that Vern tells Toddy that he needs a camper van in Australia to do a film shoot and offered her and BC $25,000 if they would fly to Germany to pick one up that he'd organised, drive it on an adventure holiday through Europe to India where he would meet them and have the van shipped to Australia. Now, does that sound too good to be true to you? Because in 1976, $25,000 is worth about $130,000 now. After Toddy and Bessie discussed the deal, they eventually agreed to the adventure. Toddy was in a bit of bad health, but by August 77, she was declared fit to travel. They left the US, arriving at Frankfurt Airport, West Germany, on August the 27th. Now, other than going over the border to Mexico to get cheap prescription drugs, neither Toddy or Bessie had travelled internationally. So this would have been very exciting for the couple. 
Now, once they arrived in Frankfurt, they had a short domestic flight to Stuttgart, where they had arranged to meet Vern. Now, Vern wasn't there to meet them as organised, and this would be a precursor of things to come. But they were in the hotel, so they went for a walk around. Two days later, Vern was still a no-show. He did turn up the following day with a couple of others. There'd be a, a Bob Lang, a Mr X and Mr X's wife, plus their child. Now, Bob Lang apparently was an Australian film producer. Vern told Toddy and BC that Mr X, his wife and the baby would go with them on this trip to India. Now, after a short time, Vern and his cronies left, saying that they had to go check on the preparation of the camper van. Okay, so at this point, I don't know if I would want to be driving a camper van through multiple countries with another couple and their kid. Anyway, a few days later, Vern turns up and tells Toddy she needed to come with him to the UK to organise a carne for the camper van. Now, a carne is like a passport for your car. So you can drive it through multiple countries without having to do plenty of extra paperwork and pay taxes and all that sort of stuff. The carnet is issued in a name, usually the owner of the vehicle, and this means that when the person on the carnet paperwork leaves the country, they must leave with the camper van as well, or at least have it shipped out as they're leaving. If not, they will be responsible for whatever charges are applicable for importing the van. So Toddy and Vern took off to England to arrange this carnet, which they got and returned to Germany, West Germany. Now, I'm sure this could have been done in Germany, even if the camper van was registered in England. I mean, it must already have had a carnet for it to be in Germany, maybe. I'm not sure. To me, this looks suspicious already. But you can imagine for Toddy, Vern was her favourite nephew. She would have just gone along with him. She trusted him. His family. Now, once back in Stuttgart, the final preparations for the trip were done. Mr. X and his wife turned up and gave Toddy and BC a stack of baby food and supplies to put in the camper van. They also gave them traveller's checks to the value of 2500 each and two tickets for the trip from Bombay to Seattle for their return journey back home. Now, Bombay, of course, is now named Mumbai but I'm going to reference it as Bombay throughout. Now, Vern wasn't there at this meeting, you know. He's busy with business and stuff. So they worked out the best route to India. Along the way, Toddy and Beesey were to stop off and supply these inflatable tubby bars to help promote the product for Vern. So they were stacked in the van. On the 6th of September, they were ready to roll, but Mr X, the wife and the baby, they were no-shows. But Vern told Toddy, not to unload the baby stuff and just to leave without him. From an outsider who knows the story, this is very suspect. And if I didn't know what was going on, I would start myself to just get a little annoyed with Vern and his arrangements. Anyway, off they go. From Stuttgart, they went through Austria, Yugoslavia. Now, Yugoslavia was one big country and now it's Bosnia and Herzegovina. Croatia, Kosovo, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Serbia and Slovenia. Anyway, they went through Bulgaria, Greece and Turkey. Now, while they were in Turkey, they dropped off some of these tubby bars in Istanbul for a promo for tubby and then they had to wait a week to get visas for Iran. Now, they had to go along the Russian border to Iran. Back then, modern-day Armenia and Georgia were part of the USSR, so they were probably going along the Armenian border. How things change, eh? 
Anyway, once they arrived in Iran, Vern told Toddy and Bisi that he would meet them in Kabul in Afghanistan. However, on arrival, only Mrs. X and Bob were there in Kabul. Now, Vern turned up later and told them to go on to Pakistan and he would meet them at the borders. Toddy asked why not travel with us, but he tells her that the carne was for her and one passenger only. Vern told them to clear the border into Pakistan while he and everyone else would meet them just over the other side. Here he would act like he was hitching a ride so as not to look suspicious. Toddy and BC were starting to get suspicious, but Vern told them to do it my way so there's no trouble. Now, from what I can gather, this wasn't said in a nice way at all. It was in quite a demanding way. Now, Toddy was wondering what he was up to. BC had the same thoughts. They shrugged it off, thinking Vern wouldn't do anything dodgy. He wouldn't have, wouldn't put him in harm's way. I mean, he's family. Toddy and BC go through the border checkpoint into Pakistan, where they saw Vern on the other side of the road, alone. Now, Bob Lang and Mrs. X had returned to Stuttgart, so they weren't there at all. Once they got to Peshawar, just inside the border of Pakistan... Vern told the women he needed the camper van for a few days to do a bit of test filming, check the camera equipment and the like, so he checked them into lodging and took off for a few days. Now, I wonder what else he had planned for the camper van while in Pakistan. When Vern returned, he was suddenly with Mrs. X and Bob Lang. Now, at this point, to me, everything seems weird, and it was seeming weird to Toddy and BC as each day went on. Next stop was on to Lahore, just not far from the border to India, where Vern met them again. When they tried to cross the border, they were told to return to Islamabad to get visas, as they wouldn't grant these visas at the border. Now this pissed Toddy off, because not only was she having health problems, but she thought Vern had sorted all this out, so she ended up having a go at him. Toddy told Vern that she'd had enough and wanted to just go home and for him to finish driving to Bombay. She also asked him what was really going on, but he she got no real answer to this question. You can imagine how pissed off she was, as nowadays, with a motorway, it's a 10-hour round trip from Lahore to Islamabad. Back, back in 1977, it was probably a goat track and probably took twice as long, if not more. So Vern ended up offering to fly to Islamabad with Toddy and BC to do the visas rather than drive. Toddy and BC left Pakistan with Vern waiting for them just inside the Indian border. So again, he isn't with them and the camper van while crossing a border. Toddy questioned him again about what was going on and Vern ended up telling her, it's none of their goddamn business. Wow, Mr. Favourite Nephew... Really nice guy and all that is starting to show his real colours, if what he wants is being questioned. So Toddy and BC started off on the final leg to Bombay, where Vern would again meet them. On the way, they had mechanical problems, they had terrifying late-night encounters with the locals, and pretty much just got out with their lives to get into Bombay. But I'll leave all that detail for those who read the book. Now, Vern promised to meet them in Bombay in mid-October. Okay, so often on this journey from landing in West Germany all the way to Bombay, Toddy would try to contact Vern, but he was often uncontactable. 
You'd turn up a few days later or one of the mystery gang of Bob Lang or the exes would be there. I probably would have left the camper van in the dodgiest part of Bombay and got on a plane out of there. Let the insurance sort it out. And guess what? Vern wasn't there to meet Toddy and Beesey in Bombay, but Bob Lang was. Now, this irritated Toddy, but at least they could be rid of the camper van and finally fly home. Well, Bob Lang tells them that they have to now go to Australia to pick up the van, so they're going to ship it to Australia, or they'll be arrested and jailed in India as the carnet is stamped in her passport. Now, Toddy's furious, but again, they agree to go to Sydney as they see no other way out of the situation. The van is organised to be put on the cargo ship and it leaves Bombay on the 5th of November. Lang told Toddy that Vern would be at Sydney to pick up the van. On the 6th of November, Toddy and BC took flights to Australia via Hong Kong and they arrive in Sydney on the 10th of November. Now, Vern, he just didn't show up for days. And when he did show, he invited them to this party. Now, at the party, they saw Bob Lang, but everyone else called him Philip, and he totally ignored and avoided Toddy and Beesey. Then Vern told them they now had to go to Melbourne to pick up the van. To Toddy, this seemed a never-ending story, and she didn't understand, nor did Vern give her any proper explanation why they couldn't pick up the van when the cargo ship doctored Sydney, and that would be a day before it got to Melbourne on the 6th of December. Now, at the time, there were several drug shipments being detected in cars and vans being shipped to Australia via India, often starting off in West Germany. Now, back in the day, Sydney Morning Herald reported two shipments being busted, one on the 3rd of January in Adelaide by a 33-year-old name-suppressed German driven from Frankfurt to Bombay and shipped to Adelaide. Now, that was 95 kilograms of cannabis resin. The other reported that a 36-year-old German, a Mr. Hanke, <laughs> Mr. Hanke, followed the same route, now West Germany to India, and then shipped the car to Australia. He was arrested in Sydney when the car was found to have 80 kilograms of cannabis resin or hash. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics were investigating these cars and vans with drugs very closely at the time. Now, Toddy and Beesey's camper van was flagged as suspicious, not only by the Bureau, Bureau, I can't say Bureau, but by customs officials as well. Now, when the cargo ship docked in Sydney, they did a drill inspection of the camper van, and in the holes that they drilled, they found what would be analysed as cannabis resin. There you go. But they estimated there to be 60 kilograms secreted in the van. The camper van was allowed to go on to Melbourne. The Bureau launched Operation Genius and there were dozens of officers involved. Now, Toddy and Beesey flew to Melbourne to collect the van. On the 7th of December, Vern turns up. Vern told them they would have to pick up the van and now drive it to Sydney. Jesus! They, They were pissed off. It's pissing me off even thinking about what they're going through. He then told them he would give them an extra. Now, get this. He would give them an extra 200,000 US dollars. Now, Toddy didn't believe him. And 200,000, you mean, imagine how much that's worth today. Bessie told him to deal with it himself. Vern then threatened them, saying, if they didn't, they'll regret it for the rest of their lives. Now, at this stage, Toddy, Bessie, and Vern were under constant surveillance. On the 9th of December, the van was supposed to be ready to pick up. 
Now, Sandy tells in the story in, in his book, and it's pretty much true, the 9th was a Friday and the van was ready to pick up in the afternoon after it had not only been cleared by customs, but it also needed to be cleared by quarantine. Friday afternoon's not the best time to get anything done, especially from a government organisation. It's beer o'clock time in the afternoon, so quarantine weren't going to process the van until Monday. And now, I don't think quarantine were in on this operation at all. Customs were, but quarantine separate. The officers involved in Operation Genius took the opportunity of having this extra weekend to look at the van to try and find out exactly how much resin was in the van. Now, they found that the whole floor and water tanks were full of resin. So the earlier estimate of about 60 kilos would in fact turn out to be 1,900 kilograms. Now, that's just under 4,200 pounds. So... We're now at the 12th of December on Monday. Remember, Toddy and BC were ready to fly home in mid-October from Bombay as they just wanted to be done with the whole deal. They aren't done just yet. With more stuffing around in Melbourne, finally Toddy and BC make their way north to Sydney. Now, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of everything that happens. You can read the book for the big deep dive. But this operation would be the biggest surveillance operation ever in Australia, at least since World War II. There are several government agencies involved and dozens of officers, all following a couple of old ladies in a camper van. Now, they don't just go up the Hume Highway to Sydney. They take this back way up through Dubbo and on to Dunny-Doo. Now, Dunny-Doo is right out in the sticks. It's about four and a half hours drive northwest of Sydney on today's roads. So it's way past Sydney, way north of Sydney. So if you were going to Sydney, you've gone so much further past Sydney, it's not funny. Now, in Melbourne, they had met a couple and they had dinner with them. Now, this couple, they again meet on this part of the journey. So they think, oh, this is great. Our friend's from Melbourne. Let's go and have drinks and eat again. And remember this couple for a bit later on. Now, Dunny do may have been this drop-off point, but Vern was a no-show. Army helicopters in the air probably went noticed by counter-surveillance with Vern's group, and so nothing happened. Toddy couldn't get hold of Vern on the phone, but some other guy would often answer this phone. Toddy told the guy on the phone they were going to Sydney to get out of the heat. They ended up at Port Macquarie, though, which is on the coast, about six hours' drive north of Sydney at the time. They were then told by the guy, this guy on the phone, not Vern, to go to Sydney. Now, they would end up reaching Sydney there on the 22nd of December. There was a lot more driving around. They still had the van and they just wanted to go home. When Bessie was checking the rear tyres of the van, she noticed this black thing attached to the springs. Now, Toddy called Vern about it after they removed it. Now, Vern told her to put it back and she asked why. He said, I want them to know where you are. It doesn't matter now. You can imagine, Toddy's freaking out about this. What do you mean? Now, Vern tried to find a way to get the drugs out of this van without being found. Toddy wanted out. She really knew something was going on now. Vern told her it was an international syndicate running this and they had to follow orders or else. So you can imagine what or else means. Vern told her it's her van with the carne in her name and if she wanted out, She would have to ship it back to Germany herself. 
It's now New Year's Eve. That night, Vern told Toddy that they could transfer the ownership to Bob. He told them there was a little bit of grass maybe in the van, but if they got caught, they would just get off with a slap on the wrist because pot's basically legal in Australia. Total bullshit. At the end of the night, with 1977 fading through to 1978, that would be the last time they'd ever see Vern. It wasn't the end of this saga, though. With more driving around, Toddy eventually got the shits and she put the van in storage in Gosford. She got legal advice and found that she could have parted ways with the van at any time during her journey and it was explained to her how carnets actually work. So she realised she'd been lied to all along. So Toddy informed Vern that she'd left the van at Gosford and had transferred ownership to this lawyer she saw and he could just deal with it himself. Toddy and BC were relieved just to be rid of this shitty van and started to make plans to go home. The problem is, Toddy ended up in hospital for a few days at the end of January. With Toddy in hospital for a couple of days, it was decided that BC would go home first and Toddy, once discharged, would follow her a day or so later. While BC was about to board her plane back to the US, she was met by police and arrested and she was taken downtown. BC was totally confused. Here she was about to fly home. She's in the departure lounge. And now she was in an interview room being accused of drug smuggling. The next day, or maybe the day after that, Toddy, who had no idea BC had been arrested, was in the process of checking out of the hospital when she was approached by that couple that they'd met on the trip up from Melbourne. But they weren't fellow travellers. They were cops. They arrested her and took her downtown. At around the same time, the van at Gosford was under surveillance, but the story ended up breaking into the media, and this enabled Vern and Bob Lang, whose real name would end up being Philip Shane, to go to ground and flee the country. Now, the cops were pissed off after all the money they'd spent following a van and two grannies around for months resulted in not being able to apprehend the Mr. Biggs of the gang. We'll cut to the chase now. The couple that Toddy and BC had met on their journey from Melbourne would end up being the main investigators and they pretty much sweet-mouthed them into telling all with the promise that the most they would get as punishment would be a slap on the wrist and deported. Well, that wasn't going to happen. You don't make fools of government agencies and get away with it. They would go to trial and end up being convicted on drug trafficking charges. They would also get 14 years each without parole because someone had to go down after such a big operation. Anyway, they lodge an appeal, but this would ultimately be withdrawn after all I can say is dodgy legal advice. You see, 14 years could have become 25 years once the appeal was heard, as they did have two tonnes of hash in the van. Also, Mr X and Bob Lang, a.k.a. Philip Schoen, were on charges in West Germany. Now, this hindered Toddy and Bessie being released after a year or whatever, as they would probably be required to give evidence against these these guys, this drug syndicate. If they end up going back into the US, they've lost control of them. Now, this is where the author of Betrayed comes into the picture, Sandy Logan, S-A-N-D-I, if you're looking. He'd been watching the case unfold and got in touch with Toddy and Bessie. 
Eventually, they became friends, and Sandy not only was there to listen to their woes, but he would keep them up to date with goings-on, bring them US magazines, and he would lobby for their release. Eventually, they would get an early release. Landing in San Francisco on the 23rd of March, 1983, but they'd done five years inside. Now, those five years, as you can imagine, in a women's prison in Sydney, a lot of it wasn't very good at all. Now, they did get moved around to a couple of other prisons, which were basically country prisons. Again, have a read of that in Sandy's book. Okay, so it's 1983 and they're back home. Let's break this down a little bit. Vern Todd, Toddy's favourite nephew, probably her favourite because he had that charm and charisma. He was just narcissistic and psychopathic. To her, he seemed so successful with his acting career. He was a shrewd businessman. If he was around today, you never know, he might be a typical Tinder swindler. Toddy and Beesy had set themselves up, you know, after all their working life, for a quiet retirement. But this scumbag Vern saw them as the perfect couple to smuggle drugs for him and his organised crime syndicate. A couple of old women wouldn't be the type to smuggle drugs now, would they? Especially upping it from what it looks like they're getting 100 kilos per van to two tonnes. Now, all the way through Europe and finally into India, he deceived them, making them think they had no choice because of this carne that had, they had tied to Toddy's passport. All lies. They could have ditched the van at any stage. And when it looked like Toddy and BC were going to bail, this is when Vern started to get angry with him. With them, his true colours were starting to come out. Now, at the time, most seizures, like I said, were maybe about 100 kilos or so at the most. But to stick your auntie and her friend with nearly two tonnes of hash, that's just truly evil. When Toddy and Bessie were arrested, one mistake they did make, was to mention to investigators that they'd been offered $200,000 to complete the delivery of the camp, camper van over and above the 25000 they were initially offered. Because once this got into the media, they were branded as ruthless drug traffickers only in it for the money. Now, this didn't go down well once they were sentenced. They looked like they were going to get a huge payday if they were successful. And the police operation was huge, and they spent so much money that when Vern and his gang go get get a tip off that the camper van was being watched, they go to ground. So the only ones they could pin anything on was Toddy and Beesy. Toddy and Beesy were also under the impression from the investigators that if they cooperated, they would probably just get a fine, maybe deported, not fourteen years. Now, this really isn't a legal thing for investigators to promise what sort of sentence you're going to get if you cooperate. It's not like we had plea deals or anything that you're actually going to sign. Toddy and BC, they just got screwed by everyone. They got screwed by a family, screwed by friends and the authorities. Vern, he was known for his drug dealings. He'd been watched for years, but at the time he was slimy enough to never be caught red-handed handling these drugs. Now, back in the day, cops could listen in to phone calls, but couldn't use evidence gained from these phone calls in court. So they knew he was involved in drug trafficking, but they needed for him to be busted with the gear. Phone tap evidence legislation would be later passed by Parliament. Now, all the authorities needed was for Vern to go and pick up this man from Gosford and they would have put him away and probably let Toddy and BC go. 
But they got 14 years and portrayed as ruthless drug smugglers because someone had to go down after all the money spent on the operation. If they'd been let off, the Drug Enforcement Bureau would have looked like just a bunch of incompetent fools. What I also find amazing, and it was probably due to the laws at the time, is that dozens of officers were trailing all around Australia for a couple of months with a camper van still full of hash. Nowadays, if a drug shipment is intercepted, the drugs are replaced with something else, and then, after it's picked up, the perpetrators are nabbed because they think it's full of whatever. I think Sandy's book had the perfect title, Betrayed, and as I said before, this is not an ad for the book, but I really recommend you buy it to get the real deep dive. I reckon best get the audible version. You can sit back and relax and listen to the full story of Toddy and Beesy's trek across Europe and into India and travelling through Australia and their awful prison experience. There's so much more I can't bring you in just one episode. Sandy has so much detail in his book. Betrayed. Betrayed by family and betrayed by the justice system. One thing as well, they were portrayed as granny drug smugglers, but neither Toddy nor Bessie were grandmothers. They weren't even mothers, but that is the media for you, I suppose. Just old ladies, just call them grannies. Suzette, Toddy and Bessie's blind and deaf dog they left with their friend Thelma Mitchell before they left America, well sadly she had to be put down before they returned. Toddy sadly died on the 30th of April 1986 at the age of 68, with Bessie passing away in 1998, and she was age 82. Vern, well he ended up back in the USA under assumed names. Now I don't know how hard the Australian authorities searched for him, but he was never brought to justice for his crimes. He would die in the US not that long ago actually, in 2019. Now... I am a bit nervous releasing this episode because I know Sandy will probably listen to it and I feel like he's going to be like my teacher at school and be marking me de- marking me like an assignment. I hope I got most of it right. So Islanders, if a random stranger came up to you offering you stacks of money to drive a van around the world, would you do it? Now if you got the same offer from a trusted family member, how would that change your answer? Okay, so that's the end of the episode. I'd like to thank my Patreons past and present for keeping the island light on. Thanks so much to Fen the Goblin and Ambera Tolbert. If you'd like to throw a dollar my way, please check out patreon.com forward slash Island. or if you just want to shout me a beer, you can donate to paypal.me forward slash Island. A free beer is always nice after dumpster diving into these cases, just like... Penelope Kovac did this week. What a lovely name that is. Boom vakalunga. But can I just ask you to take time to share the podcast with your friends or even in groups, Facebook, whatever. The Island is one of the few truly independent true crime podcasts out there and commercial free. Best of all, it's free of charge to help the island out. Go to my website, truecrimeisland.com, where you can stream each episode if you don't want to use iTunes or a pod player or you just want to download it for a later road trip through India. I have links to merch social media there as well. You can email me if you want to get in touch. It's always the best way to just email me. Don't message me. Also, if you want a real deep dive into this case, check out Betrayed by Sandy Logan. There's just so much more detail in the book. I know I've been going on about it, but there is it, it, it's amazing the amount of detail that's in it. I got it on Audible, like I said before. 
I listened each night as I was going to bed. I listened to it several times actually to get all this, get the case in my head. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Good night.